Metaphor is a word comparison that is made without actually pointing out a similarity between the words. They are powerful communication tools. The Bible uses them a lot to proclaim God's message. Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. We're starting a new series called Metaphors for You. God is spoken of as rock, father, and shelter. Jesus is seen as living water, light, and bread. The Spirit is seen as both wind and fire. The right metaphor can help us see God more clearly and give us encouragement and direction. They can also be a challenge that can change our hearts and fill our minds with unshakable hope. Enjoy the message. Are you ready for church? What's the answer? Yeah, it sounds like it during worship. My goodness. I'm uh, definitely uh, under the weather here today, and yet you're enthusiasm and you're just lifting up the Lord uh, has inspired my heart. So I'm going to give my all. And uh, so I may or may not greet you out there, but if I do, my hands will be in my pocket and no hugs today. But uh, it is, like Michael said, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. And we are uh, finishing off a series called Metaphors. And uh, every week we're just kind of looking at this uh, short phrase that hopefully paints a picture in our heart and our mind. And we leave with a different uh, thought in in what God is wanting to do in our lives. And so here's the the words today. And and as a matter of fact, uh, it was different. If you saw this in the the bulletin uh, or in the the church newsletter, man, as I was preparing the message, I'm like, you know what? I don't care what I said we were going to do. This is what God's telling me. So we're switching it up and it's shake the heart. Shake the heart. Can you say that with me? Shake the heart. Let's say it again. Shake the heart. And I was thinking as I was uh, writing this message, I'm like, it's kind of like, and I know, I know we're 100 days plus out from Christmas, but it's kind of like that Christmas snow globe. Picture that. And I want you to have a picture of a big one in your hand. And you got this big snow globe and everything has just kind of settled, right? And you pick up that big globe and what do you do? You shake it. And all that stuff that's at the bottom, it, it, it rises and it just consumes that globe. And you've got this new beautiful picture that's been painted because the globe has been shaken. And I want you to kind of picture that when we talk about shake the heart. Because maybe there's some things that have settled at the bottom of your heart that God wants to shake in there, specifically as uh, we look at the topic that we do today. Amen? So again, shake the heart and let's pray. God, um, it really is good to be in your house as uh, Michael brought to our attention. And it's good to have him back with us today and the rest of the worship team that was up there. Just thank you for them. And we're praying that, um, that their service to you would be a, a blessing, Lord. Uh, not only to us, but for their own lives. God, thank you that um, on this Labor Day weekend that you've allowed us to to have the comforts of an air-conditioned room and these beautiful purple chairs and and most importantly, the fellowship of believers and uh, our guests that are here today. Um, God, we thank you for your word and it's on your word that we, we stand under and stand on. And we thank you, God, for all that you're going to do and all that you've already done. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. So, so, so shake the heart. What I, what I want to do is uh, I want to show you some pictures here this morning. And um, 
want you to just, from your seat, do the best you can to engage with the picture and see if this shakes your heart in any way, if it stirs your heart in any way. And so I'm going to ask if the first picture could be put up on the, the screen. And what I want to do is ask that we put the the next picture up on the screen. And one of the things that I know that you may not know is that first picture, that child, that's the same child tucked back there off to the left. Does that shake your heart in any way? Now I want the third picture. So what we've done is with the first picture, we're in tight. The second picture, we've pulled out a little bit to help give you context. The third picture, we've pulled out even a little bit more. Does this shake your heart? Let's go to the fourth picture as we pull out. So what I want you to do is, to the best of your ability, just keep those photos in your heart and mind. Maybe some of the emotion or lack of emotion. Keep that there. And then... um, Maybe we'll come back to this later in the service. But until then, I'm going to ask that you would open up your Bibles. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. And these fine gentlemen are going to make their way down. We believe this is God's word. Amen? We believe this is God's word. Amen? All right. We're going to go to Matthew. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 9. And uh, Matthew's the first book in the, the New Testament. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 9. And we're going we're gonna to start off in verse 35. And I know some of you that study your uh, newsletters go, well, pastor, that's not the passage that we're supposed to be in Matthew 10. You're right. But as I shared last week, um, you know, good exegesis looks at the beginning or the before and the after of the passage. And, and sometimes it, it matters a lot. And sometimes it's, it's, it's just good to know. But again, for today's purposes, I think it's really important that we look at what comes right before uh, where we're going to hang out the most in, in, in Matthew chapter 10. So Matthew chapter 9, verse, uh, let's start off with verse 35. Matthew nine thirty-five says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming what? Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. Now listen. When he saw, and who's he? Jesus. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had what? When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And here's the reason why he had compassion. Because they were harassed and what? They were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the field. 
Now, now the, the honest truth is we don't really need a whole lot of dialogue on this because I think these words speak for themselves, amen? It's pretty clear what is happening here, but I do, I do want to draw some attention to this whole idea that, that, that when Jesus saw the crowd, I believe that his heart shook. Is that fair? I believe that his heart shook when he saw the crowd. And, and you say, well, why, Pastor? It's because as you follow, it says he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, just moments ago, we saw some photos and I asked, what does that do for your heart? But, but Jesus saw a different picture, didn't he? He's standing there and he's seeing something entirely different than what we just saw. But what he saw, it did something to him. It, 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 it was a shaking of the heart. So much so that it goes on to say that, that he's like, guys, the harvest is what? The harvest is plentiful. There's plenty of lostness out there. But it's what? The workers are few. So now, do we pray for the hearts of the people that are lost? Well, according to this passage, no. What we need to do is pray for those, 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 those people that know the truth to get off their rear ends. Loose translation. Now, please don't, you know, please don't hear me saying that you should never pray for somebody that's far from God. That, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying according to this verse, Jesus is saying there's a plenty enough of them out there. What's lacking is people that have their hearts shaken with compassion. And just like a snow globe, I think it's, it's, it's within all of our hearts, amen? It just tends to settle down to the bottom. And we need to shake it up a little bit. And so this is where uh, we're going to jump from uh, this morning. This is, this is, this is the backdrop of, of what happens in Matthew chapter 10. So you ready? All right. So, so if you're taking notes, write this down. The, the first point of, of today is uh, he gave them instructions. And when we say he, we're referring to Jesus. He gave them instructions. Because as a result of this compassion and, and, and him looking at the people like they were sheep without a shepherd, he, he, he knows that his task in, in gathering the 12 was not just to have a, a little posse, a little gang, a little group of people that he could hang out with so he's not alone. But his intention was that he was going to invest in these 12. And so this is, a, this is a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. He's like, yes, this is the heart I have, but I want you to have this heart too. And here's what you need to do with it when the heart is shaken. So he gives them instruction. Chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus calls his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Then he goes on and he names the 12, and ironically, he names them in pairs, and maybe we'll see why later. Then we go to verse 5, and it says, These 12 Jesus sent out with what? He sent them out with what? With the following instructions. You see, I might look smart, but I'm not. My first point just comes straight from here, the instructions. 
And he says, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of Samaria. Go rather than to the lost sheep of what, church? Go to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse uh, those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, now freely you give. Now, again, context is important. These guys are just new, new with Jesus Christ. And so here, he's got this heart of compassion, sheep without a shepherd. Uh, by the way, uh, if you've been at West Valley long enough, you've heard me say this, but I hope you're sick of it. And if you're not, if, you're not, if you are new to West Valley, this is going to be a new one. But this word, this Greek word for compassion is splachnitomai. And I love having you say it because I love seeing the spit go all over in front of the person in front of you. But let's try that. Splachnitomai. 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 Which simply means this, and I love this because I told you I'm a pastor. I'm a person that kind of loves visuals. And, and, and splachnitomai means a love from the gut. A love from the, uh, the innermost being of who you are. And so when Jesus saw the sheep that were, were, were lost or, or there were sheep without a shepherd, this did something to his gut. This really shook him to the core. And this is why he's now given instructions. He's, got, he's saying, men, here's what I need you to do. Now, I love it because I'm always thinking about the disciples. These guys are just normal, average, ordinary people. And they're just probably sitting there going, half of them going, you want us to do what? Because he gives a pretty incredible list here, right? Heal the sick. What? And then there's a Peter. Oh, yeah, I'm ready. Bring them. I was wondering when you were going to give me, right? You know, you probably had everything in this group of 12. But now he's going to give them instructions. I want to, I want to peel back that a little bit more and, and, and look at what, what does this exactly mean? And by the way, this is one of the first and few times the word apostle is even used in this passage, which means sent out, the sent out ones. And by the way, if you're a Christ follower today, this has everything to do with you. All right? So, so, so he gives them these instructions because, let's just be honest. What these 12 do with these instructions would impact eternity for you and I. Did you hear that? Like, like, like Jesus got these 12 ordinary people. They did not have all these masters and doctorates and high education and, and a lot of influence and all. They were just 12 ordinary men that Jesus tasked with an extraordinary task. Uh, I've oftentimes referred to a book, old book called Lifestyle Evangelism. By Joseph C. Aldrich. And at the beginning of uh, the book, he says this, and I, and I, I want to share it with you to just kind of help capture how important this message that we're talking about is. He says, there is a legend which recounts the return of Jesus to glory after his time on earth. 
Even in heaven, he bore the marks of his earthly pilgrimage with its cruel cross and shameful death. The angel Gabriel approached him and said, hey, man. Okay, maybe I just put that in there. <laughs> Master, you must have suffered terribly down there for those men. I did, he said. And, and, and Gabriel continued, do they, do they know all about how you love them and, and what you did for them? Oh, no, said Jesus, not yet. Right now, only a handful of people in Palestine know. Gabriel was perplexed. Then, 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 then what, what have you done? What have you done to let everyone know about your love for them? And Jesus answered, I have asked Peter, James, John, and a few more friends to tell other people about me. Those who are told will in turn tell still other people about me. And my story will be spread to the farthest reaches of the globe. Ultimately, all of mankind will have heard about my life and what I've done. Gabriel frowned and looked rather skeptical. He knew well what poor stuff men were made of. And he said, yes, he said, but, but what if Peter and James and John grow weary? What if the people who come after them forget? What if, what if way down in the 20th century, people just don't tell others about you? Haven't you made any other plans? And Jesus answered, I haven't made any other plans. I'm counting on them. I'm counting on that. And, and you come to 2019, the reason you and I have the good news, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the living word that has literally turned our lives inside out and upside down is because those men were faithful. And then those that they, they gave the message to were faithful. And then the men and women that the message was given to were faithful. And then you find yourselves in the 1800s, they were faithful. In the 1900s, they were faithful. In the year 2000, they were faithful. You see, Jesus didn't have a plan B. He was entrusting this incredible message to these 12 men, which was passed on, which was passed on, which was passed on. Does that help you see how important this conversation was and is in Matthew chapter 10? How these marching orders we're not only marching orders for these young believers, but marching orders for us today. So the instructions, if you pull them back, uh, the first is this. If you're taking notes, it's go to those who are lost, right? In verse 6, it says, go rather to the lost sheep of what? Go to the lost sheep of Israel. This is, this is where you need to go. This is where you need to start. Now, some of you would go, well, gosh, that's pretty limited. Uh, I think it's 75 miles wide and 125 miles uh, long, this, this Israel. And okay, that's good for them, but what about us? Well, go to Matthew chapter 28 so we can settle this one really quick. Bring a little comfort to the heart before we all jump on a, a plane to Tel Aviv, Right? Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, the very first passage I ever memorized. He says that then yeah, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, 
He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and he says, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you to the very end of this age. So, for, so right out the gate, yes, I want you to go to the lost sheep of Israel. But by the time Matthew 28 comes out, uh, it's, it's to all of the world. And then we know in Acts chapter 10, a passage I, crea- I created. <laughs> well, <whew. laughs> Let's rewind on this one. <laughs> I'll just say it's the medicine, yeah. <laughs> I better have some, huh? Mm. So like I was saying, Acts chapter 10, where we see uh, the whole, the message uh, given that, that, that the gospel's for all people, Jews and Gentiles, right? So we don't need to argue about this. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So this message is for everybody. But at the particular moment right here, uh, he gives marching orders to go to the lost sheep in Israel. The secondly, Not only uh, does he say, go to those who are lost. By the way, what's that definition today? It's simply those that are far from God. Do you know somebody that does not know God? I'm so grateful that the people in my lives that led me to the Lord heard a message like this at some point. That challenged them to think about somebody in their life that didn't know Christ. And they took it serious. And so that's how the message got to me. So go to those that are lost. And then secondly, go in my authority. Go in my authority. You see, they don't have the, in verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you've received, freely you give. They can't do this on their own. Amen? And by the way, and this is, a, this is a constant reminder I need for my life. It's a constant reminder for my team, the staff, that, that, that we are to, the scripture says this, we are to plant and we are to water, but God's the one that makes it grow. Amen? So it's not, the, the, the full responsibility is not on us to change people's lives. And that's a hard one for some of us to swallow because some of us have some real, real close loved ones that we just wish we could flip that switch on. We could jam Jesus down their throat. And the truth is we can't jam Jesus down someone's throat. And when we do try it, we probably do the opposite of what Jesus is wanting us to do. Hello? And so we go in his authority. And his authority simply means we're going to keep our eyes open. We're going to keep shaking our heart to allow that compassion to come to the surface even when we're feeling sorry for ourselves. Even when life is hard for us. You know, one of the things I found interesting, when life is the hardest for me in my walk with Christ, the best thing I could do is look at others and not myself. And you shake the heart and that compassion that's there, it comes to the surface. And part of the realization is we realize we don't have it as bad as we really think we have it because now we're putting our eyes elsewhere. That's a little side sermon there. But it's something that I've had to learn and it's not easy. 
We go in his authority to do the things that he wants us to do. I, I think another instruction, not only go after the lost and go in his authority, is to trust him. If you look at uh, Matthew chapter nine, verse, um, ver- chapter 10, verse nine, he says, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. So as you guys are gonna go out there and you're gonna go do this and you're gonna go share the, the message of the kingdom of God, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. Well, what's the instruction there for us in 2019? Trust him. Because I think that's what the message was there. And I could spend a whole sermon unpackaging this. And I've chosen because there's so much I want to share not to. But the gist of why he said what he said there in that moment was all that other stuff would have been a distraction for them to trust him. So as we're identifying lost in our life and as we're going out in his authority, we need to go out in his power. <laughs> we, need to, we need to trust him in this process. Because I, I promise you, you know, I, I've got degrees in this thing and I've walked with the Lord for 30 years and I've continued to read his scripture. But is it okay to say that I don't feel adequate most times? And part of that is, that leads to a, well, then I'll just stay quiet. <laughs> but the truth is, if I'm salt and light in the, in the world, and I'm going out in his power, then I get a front row seat to see him do his stuff. And the honest truth is, when I've yielded to the fears and the insecurities, I have seen some amazing things up close. And I see people even in this very room this week, multiple people that I've met with this week, and I got to hear about the things that God is doing in their lives. Amen. You see, we, we, we plant and we, we water, but he grows. There might be that person that you're thinking of that is so far lost, you're like, Joe will never come to know Jesus. <laughs> Sally, are you kidding me? She's a, woo. Those are prime candidates for God. Because where we can't, he can. Then we, then we go to the, um, the passage in um, <laughs> Matthew 10, verse 11. And uh, it gets a little weird, but hang in there. Whatever town or village you enter, again, he's giving instructions to the disciples. Whatever town or village you enter, um, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. And as you enter their home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave the home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day of judgment than for that town. And, and, and if you're taking notes, what's the instruction here? Have healthy support. Don't do this on your own. I, I, one of the things I've learned more and more is, is, is not only I can't, but he can, but I can't alone. 
Ministry is hard, and what we're talking about is not going up against, uh, you know, a professional football team like the Rams or going in baseball against the Dodgers or going up against, you know, whatever world you're in, you know, going up against another country. We are talking about we're going up against evil. We're going up against this battle that is described in Ephesians as a spiritual battle that you and I can't see that's going on every day for the heart of men and women, And so the truth is, we got to be careful, church. This isn't a game of chess. This is a game for eternity. This is not a game. It's reality. And so this is where Jesus is given instructions. And if he's telling the disciples, don't do this alone, we can't do ministry alone. And by the way, just a little maybe insight, maybe reading into it too much. But if you remember back at the earlier part of the passage and he names off all of the apostles, he names them in pairs. Is that by accident? And you go, oh, I don't know. Well, let me, let me speak into that a little bit. Why don't you turn over to Mark? Mark chapter six, Mark chapter six, verse seven. Then Jesus went out around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Then you go to Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, it says this, verse verse 1, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out. What church? Two by two. What did he do? He sent them out. Two by two ahead of them to every town and place. We know that this book tells us that the devil prowls around like a lion, right? And you've heard it over and over again. A lion does not have the guts to go after a pack. It goes after the individual. The animal that's all by itself. More and more, as this church is, is changing more and more lives, I'm learning this truth more and more the hard way. I can't do ministry alone. And nor can you. So this is how I read the instructions that are given to the disciples. You go back and you read it and you see if that's what's true. But this is what I'm pulling out after I've studied. Last Sunday, um, my uh, 12-year-old now, Easton just turned 12 a couple weeks ago. And uh, last Saturday, his brother and sister-in-law now gave him a present and it was a fishing tackle box. And (laughs) Drew loaded it up with all kinds of stuff. And... um, so Saturday night, Easton's in my bedroom as I'm getting ready for today or for the, you know, the, the, the next day, getting my clothes ready. And <laughs> Easton's just on the ground. He's putting the whole line on. He's like, Dad, where should I put the weight? And where should I put the bobber? How high? And he's doing his own knot on the hook. And he's going to go fishing the next day. We live in a little small community over here off of uh, Roscoe, and it's got a little lake there. And, and uh, Drew and I have caught many fish over the years and they're like this big maybe maybe that big and you just throw them back in east and i have never caught a fish together <laughs> and uh Easton with his brother has never caught a fish so last sunday last sunday morning a week ago Easton 
after getting everything ready on Saturday night, decides before church he's going to go fishing. So he goes across the street and gets, gets on the lake, and he goes fishing by himself. So last Sunday after second service, because they come to the second service, he goes, Dad, look, he's patiently waiting as I'm saying hi and stuff to people. He's patiently waiting, and then he pulls out this little eye touch phone. He goes, Dad, look, I caught a fish. And I'm like, cool, buddy, cool. And then I start talking, and he goes, no, Dad, I caught a fish. But, you know, Easton's fairly confident, but he looked a little off on this one. And he goes, did you look? And I'm like, okay, and I pull it, and I widen the screen, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, I didn't know they had fish like this in the lake. It's a, it's a, it's a bass, and its mouth was like this big. And he only, he must have had the fishing pole, and he must have pulled it. I mean, it's not the greatest picture, but he had like three or four of them. And I'm zooming it out, and I'm like, that thing had to be about this big, had to at least been five pounds, at least. And he goes, Dad, I'm fighting, I'm scared, I don't know what to do. He goes, this, the pole went like this, I thought it was going to break, and I just kept coming, and it got closer, and then it was flopping everywhere, and this and that, and I was scared, and I had the this, and that, and And I'm like, what happened? He goes, then it as I was pulling it out, it, it got away. And uh, I'm like, well, that's cool, buddy. I'm like, yeah, there is. And then, then here's me. I didn't know there was fish big in there like this. And it wasn't like a fish story, right? It was like legit. As I'm preparing this sermon, I'm going over this point. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like if there was another person with them, right? They grab the net, put it in there, and together they take care of this thing. I don't know what your experience has been or if it's even on your radar. But I want to tell you, keep your eyes open. If you're a Christ follower, keep your eyes open as you walk out of here. Let God shake your heart as you look at the people out here that do not know God and march with the instructions. Follow the instructions that Jesus gives us right here. And you will get to see life change. You will get to see lives change. But then there's the second point. (laughs) The one that I haven't been too excited to get to, but we have to call it out because Jesus does. If you're taking notes, the first one's he gives instructions. The second is he gave them warning. You look at it, and in verse 16 of of Matthew chapter 10, he says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now, church, let's think about this. You're hanging out with Jesus. He's giving you the marching orders. Your heart's a little fluttery, but you're kind of excited, like, man, I get to be a part of this. And then the next thing he says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Like, all right, sign me up. He says, therefore, be shrewd as what? Be shrewd as snakes and innocent as what? As doves. And then he says, be on your what? Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. I mean, this is not a good selling point, Jesus. He did not go to a Tony Robbins motivational speech. But he is the one that set out speech. He does know what truth is. He needed to be real with the disciples. We talked about hypocrisy, authenticity. Jesus is shooting straight. He never knew anything different. He says, on my account, you will be brought before governors, kings, and witnesses to, to, to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you will say or how you will say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. 
For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And I'll go right back to that's why we trust God and trust his authority. The Holy Spirit will allow you to remember passages you never even knew were in your heart. The Holy Spirit will remind you of how you need to be quiet when you want to speak and when you need to speak up when you want to be quiet. It's absolutely amazing what the power of God in our lives can do. But if you're taking notes, he he gives a warning, doesn't he? He says, this is not going to be easy. I mean, you're going into the fire lines. You're going into the lion's den. You're going in because lost people matter to God. Therefore, they ought to matter to us. Did you hear that? Lost people matter to God, therefore they ought to matter to us. That's the heart behind these marching orders. Because you go back to Matthew chapter 9. He had compassion. He had splak nitsumai. He had love for the gut because they were sheep without a shepherd. And this was the motivation. This is what got them out of their comfort zones. Don't go in blindly, he says. Be shrewd as snakes. What's that mean? I think it just be be prepared with with truth. Be prepared with truth and then gentle as doves. Not only be prepared with truth, but be prepared with grace. Jesus, it says in John, what, 114, Jesus came filled with what? Grace and truth. I've said this many times. I used to separate them like 50% grace, 50% truth. And many years ago, I was like, no, it's 100% grace and 100% truth. And as we're going out of there into the world, we can't compromise God's truth, but we can't also just be legalistic, finger-pointing, judgmental, hypocritical, I'm better than you, Christ followers. Amen? And so it's this incredible, beautiful uh, coin. I, I, I read it somewhere this week. It's the coin of eternity. It's not one coin of grace and one coin of truth, it's the coin of eternity. One side's got the grace and one side's got the truth. So with that, we don't have to fear, but we do have to pay attention that there is opposition. Your heart shakes, compassion is stirred. You listen to the marching orders and persecution follows. (laughs) The truth is, you know, how, how, how vulnerable do you be is always the question for good and bad as a communicator. But um, like, and it's not just like, oh, we think this. I mean, just numbers, numbers talk because numbers equal a person. Our church is growing. It's growing. Our, our school is back. You know, it had gone down for so many years during the recession, and it's growing. Um, I, I shared in a letter recently that the school just got another crazy amount of money in a, in a grant. Uh, our school's never in its history got stuff like that. Um, you, you look on the wall over here. We, we had to go to a second wall for the first time of all the new members, and, and, and people have given their life to Christ. It's amazing, it's exciting, it's wonderful, and it's really, really hard. I've joked, but maybe it's not so much of a joke. I, let's do a church of 500, it's a lot easier. 
let's just keep staying at 500, you know, where we were at for so many years. It's easier because the devil don't care. But now that we're over 600 and, and things are moving and we woke up the enemy. And even this week, there's been some hard things relationally that you just go, God, really? So, I mean, why be surprised? <laughs> Scripture said it, didn't it? Doesn't it? I mean, this is a big deal. And isn't the price to be paid worth it as people come to know Jesus Christ? Amen? So part of it is I'm personally asking for prayers for me. I'm praying for my, asking for prayers for the leadership and the elders of the church. And as we pray for you, please pray for us. And my prayer is God, station your angels around this campus for our school and for our church. Amen? Let this be a place that shares the grace and truth. Don't be scared by the persecution, but know that God is greater than anything that ever could come our way. And the same is true for you in your individual life as you take this on. As you shake that compassion in your heart and you start actually caring about people that are lost, and I don't mean that like mean, like, oh, all of a sudden you start caring, but the truth is it's really easy to forget, isn't it? It's really easy to get consumed with our own lives. But as that happens, don't, don't be surprised that all of a sudden, you know, someone, a, co- a coworker might go, well, why do you say that? Or why are you going to church? Or who are you, Jesus freak? Love it, own it, embrace it. Um, By the way, um, the disciples were given this message, and I I looked it up again, and I'm not going to share all of it, but, um, you know, you just Google, how did each apostle die? It's pretty crazy. You know, Matthew suffered martyrdom. Uh, John was put in a cauldron of oil and escaped that and was put to death later. Peter was crucified upside down. Uh, James was beheaded. I mean, the list goes on. Uh, Bartholomew was flayed uh, alive. It's like, oh, sign me up. Well, here's the reality. In America, that stuff doesn't happen. That's not the persecution you and I get as Christians, is it? Our persecution is, oh, you call yourself a Christian? (laughs) Or you're a Jesus freak? Or what are you doing leaning on that crutch? I mean, really? If that's all we have to deal with? Then it turns. Um, It turns, look at Romans. Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one says this. Verse 16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. For I'm not what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So powerful, isn't it, church? And that leads us to the last point, is he gave them hope. He gave them hope. If you look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, 
It says, do not be afraid of those who will kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who could destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground out of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than what? Many sparrows. Same, same, same truth that we heard last week in a different passage. You are valuable. And not only are you valuable, but the people that are lost out there that do not know God are valuable too. And so this is where hope lies. He gave them hope after warning them of what persecution might happen. Uh, you guys know I was gone a few weeks ago with my family and, and my uncle and his wife, and we're in Maui. And one day, my uncle, uh, one day, it was actually midnight, uh, chartered a boat. So it's going to be the boys, Easton, Drew, my uncle, and myself. We get to the dock at one o'clock in the morning. We get on this boat with the two captains. We go all four hours out before a fishing pole ever hits the water. Quite a, quite a trip. We put our poles in the water, and within two minutes, Drew's bringing in a nice big tuna. And I don't know, 12, 13 pound tuna, and it's flopping all over. And it's like exciting stuff. It's like, at first, you're still wondering if the one o'clock in the morning call time and the four hour boat ride of this, but then the next one hits, and they put the pole in my hand. And we're not in that chair yet. You know, you've seen some deep sea fishing. I'm just lodged with my knees up against the boat. And I'm, I'm reeling this thing, and it hurts. And I'm reeling and reeling, and the captains and everybody are just calling me all kinds of wonderful names that rhyme with you weak man. And, and I'm just going as hard as I can. And, and eventually one of the captains goes, actually, this thing's big. And I'm like, okay, because I've never gotten anything big out there in the ocean and I'm reeling, reeling, reeling and as it's getting closer the captain goes it's a shark and I'm like ah oh. and I'm, I'm honestly there are many times in this moment where I think I'm going overboard no exaggeration like you know the wet floor the weak you know and I'm just doing this and eventually I get this in close and I'm like Drew you gotta finish it and Drew brings it in and it comes up to the, the boat and we're not gonna bring this thing in but it's a six seven foot shark over 200 pounds and it was scary and crazy and then they cut it away and they're like yes we're not putting this thing on here and the next thing you know we're fishing and we just kept bringing in mahi and tuna but the captain said this he goes he goes, if you don't reel this fish in, we're been, we've been having a problems with the sharks getting the fish before they get on the boat. Why do I share this? Because doing everything that we said, that Jesus said that we ought to be doing, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of sacrifice. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of resources. And once in a while, we'll get a shark on the end of the line and once in a while, we'll get a tuna or an ahi on the end of the line, but the shark wants to get it. And our job is to persevere, hang in there, and keep doing it because lost souls matter to God. Therefore, they ought to matter to us. I want to show you that picture. Ton of fish that we got that day. But now I want to bring you to the picture that we started with today. That was taken by me in Nairobi, Kenya, in the slums, three million. You tell me how old that kid is. Year and a half, two? There was not a person to be seen. 
near this child. Greg Green, who's a pastor on staff here, and I were blown away. Nobody. But that wasn't the only child that would just walk the streets at this little age with that river that you can only imagine what's in it. Do you think that shook my heart? It's been almost two years and my heart still shakes with that image. As a church, we sponsor 97 kids in Githero um, for school, clothes, and all that. That's awesome. I don't know what the number's at now. I know some have dropped off. But I want to tell you that that image has never left my mind or Greg's mind. And part of what we do as a missions team at this church is see opportunities that we can go that's not just building the kingdom here, but also elsewhere. And I'm not going to get to tell you everything, but uh, what I'll tell you is this. There's been a lot of prayer, a lot of conference calls, and a lot of work. And uh, West Valley Christian Church is planting a church in the slums of Kenya. And Greg and I, by the way, just gave permission for, to buy some property. And just last night, Greg and I received a, a tech, or an email, and we were praying for a price. I was going to tell you to pray for a price because we knew what the price of this little piece of land was that we could build this church on. And we wanted to get it a lot less. And I was going to ask you to pray for it, but we got an email that says they got it for that price, the low price. And so we'll be building a little building on it. We'll be sending teams. We know the pastor already. And, but why? It's because we happened to see something that we didn't want to see. And God shook our hearts and has shaken many people's hearts. Not, not Greg and I. We were just one, two. But church, you get to be a part of that. And you are a part of that. What is God doing in your heart to help lost people know God? What is God doing in my heart? Let's keep doing the best we can until the day he comes back. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, all God's people say. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day.